Good morning, Christ community. Such a joy, privilege, and an honor to be with you again, to share with you the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Would you please bow with me for a word of prayer? God of majesty and God of mercy, Lord, we give honor, glory, and praise to your awesome and holy name. We thank you for another undeserved privilege to worship you in spirit and in truth. Today, God, I pray that through the preaching of your word, you would inform, inspire, impact, and therefore improve the lives of we, your people, to the end that you and you alone would get the glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Allow me to begin by saying thank you again to you, the leadership and the members of this great fellowship of faith for extending the invitation and allowing me to come and once again share with you in worship and in word. Uh, As you all have heard, uh, I am a new dad. Been a father a little less than 48 hours. And so I'm excited, but you have to please, please pray for me and excuse me if I preach with a divided heart today. I'm so glad to be here with you but most of my heart is about 20 miles away uh, at the uh, Elmhurst Hospital in Naperville. Uh, Would you please take your copy of God's Word and stand with me and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Begin reading at verse 5. That's my phone. Should be in my coat pocket. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> These are the kinds of things you have to deal with uh, when, you, when you're on about an hour and a half of sleep. Forget to turn your alarm off. <laughs> so sorry for that disruption. Philippians chapter 2. Begin the reading at verse 5 through verse 11. Brothers and sisters, before I begin reading, I want to remind you that this is the word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to share a message today entitled, How Low Can You Go? How low can you go? You may be seated in the presence of our God. F.B. Meyer said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christian maturity, the easier we could reach them. He went on to say, I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other. So it's not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. In other words, giving our best to God and receiving the best gifts from God is not about how high you can reach, but how low you can go. This idea of humility is the Apostle Paul's concern in our passage. Philippians is a joy-filled thank you letter written from prison by Paul to celebrate the church's concern for him and to challenge the church as a gospel-centered fellowship. In verses 1 through 4 of this chapter, he challenged the church to strive for unity through practicing humility. Paul flows out of the exhortation to strive for humility into an example of what humility looks like. This text that I've read is regarded by many as an early Christian hymn. And in these beautifully poetic lines, Paul praises and proclaims Jesus as the greatest model of the unifying power of humility. This early gospel hymn contains an on-time word for us today. Because pride and self-promotion are on parade in great measure these days. We live in a selfie-saturated, brand-building culture. But I believe that most of the disagreements we have in the church, and even in our personal relationships, can be spoken to from this passage. The way forward into healing from everything that could possibly separate us, whether it's denominationalism or classism or sexism or racism, whether it's ethnicity or economic, spiritual or social, the way forward is asking and answering the question of humility. Pursuing Christian unity is really a spiritual game of limbo. The question is, how low can you go?
Paul writes this song then not just to inspire our worship, but for it to impact our walk. If you have your Bible open, you'll see that this song, this hymn, divides into two stanzas. The first is in verses 6 through 8 that describes Christ's humiliation. The second is in verses 9 through 11, which describes Christ's exaltation. And here's the text message for today. Christ's example proves that if we lower ourselves for the sake of unity, God will lift us for the sake of his glory. I believe I'll tell you that again. If you don't get anything else from the message today, that's the sermon in a sentence. Christ's example proves that if we lower ourselves for unity, God will lift us for his glory. Question is, what does lowering yourself for the sake of unity look like? First of all, lowering yourself for the sake of unity means you must imitate Christ's humiliation. Imitate Christ's humiliation. Paul begins verse 5 with the command. He says, let this mind be in you. This is the same word he used back in verse 2 when he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He repeats it as a call to adopt the attitude, to plagiarize the perspective of Christ. Why? Because if we truly have his attitude, we will inevitably duplicate his actions. Verses 6 through 8, Paul conveys the mind of Christ as shown through the details of the downward direction of Jesus' humility. Here's the first step. Paul says he let go. Even though he existed in the form of God, which means he shared the essential nature of God with the Father and the Spirit. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, Jesus was, is, and will always be God. But he did not count or consider his equality with God as something to be held on to, as something to be grasped or taken advantage of. Jesus did not exploit his divine status or use it as an excuse not to come and save us. He did not use his divine status as an excuse for his own selfish gain or comfort. Everything that he had a right to and had enjoyed for all eternity 
Because he is God, for our sake, he let it go. Notice the second step. Paul says, not only did he let go, he gave up. Verse 7, he emptied himself. The Greek term behind this statement for centuries has been a source of great debate in the church, but I believe sometimes we can clear up confusion if we just keep reading the passage. Because Paul tells us what it looked like in the rest of the verse. He said he's emptied himself, and he did so by taking on the form of a servant. Do you notice the play on words? He went from being in the form of God to taking on the form of a servant. This is an echo of the suffering servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Give you a bit of homework. You ought to read them when you get a chance this week, especially during this season in preparation for Easter and resurrection. The, the songs in Isaiah prophetically previewed the person and work of God's unique servant. Jesus came as the fulfillment of what was foretold by Isaiah. And in Matthew 20 and 28, Jesus gives us his personal mission statement. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only did he take on the essential nature of a servant, but he was born in the likeness of men. You know, if you had seen Jesus during his earthly life, you wouldn't have picked him out of a crowd, at least not based on how he looked. Because he was in the likeness of men, there was nothing physically impressive about him. He looked like every other man. That's what Isaiah says in one of these songs. In Isaiah 53 and 2, he says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we would desire him. Notice the last step. Not only did he let go and give up, but he laid down. Verse 8 says he humbled himself. He completely submitted to the will of the Father by becoming obedient to the point of death. Yes, it's true that obedience is better than sacrifice. Oh, but for Jesus, obedience was sacrifice. His unconditional obedience ended in his death. And even more astounding is the fact that it was death on a cross. Crucifixion was simultaneously the most humiliating and the most painful way to die in the ancient world. Do you see the picture of humiliation? Paul is painting the, the reproach and the shame and the suffering that Jesus endured 
through his death on the cross, he willingly took the shame, the beating, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands, the spike through his feet, the spear in his side. He willingly died that we might live. Let's retrace the steps now. He released his rights. He gave up his glory and he laid down his life just to unify us with the Father and with one another. Here's the point Paul is making, and I don't want you to miss it in the midst of all of this lofty explanation of his humiliation. Here it is. If the Lord Jesus himself went through all of that for us, how low can you go? Paul is using Christ's example to challenge this church to humble themselves for the sake of unity. And this, I believe, brothers and sisters, is what God is saying to us today. Humility is not one size fits all. Because we are all tempted to be lifted up in pride in different ways. For some of us, it's about letting go of our right to be angry and offended by everything. For some of us, maybe it looks like abandoning our personal sense of superiority. For others, it may look like going the extra mile when you feel unappreciated or taken advantage of and every one of your instincts says, protect yourself, preserve yourself. And God is saying, humble yourself. It's not one size fits all. And I'm, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I'm learning what it looks like for me. Now, I, I've been privileged to worship with you all a few times, and so I figure by now we're friends. They say confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But I know you all won't judge me. You'll pray for me. But I'm learning what humility looks like for me. And sometimes it looks like listening and not speaking. I speak as a matter of purpose and calling. It's also what I do for a living. And to my own shame, I pride myself on being right. And I'll tell you this, the very worst thing you can do is agree with me when I'm right. But I'm growing to the place where I'd rather win people than win arguments. Read a quote the other week that floored me. I'll share it with you and move on. Ezra Taft Benson said this, Pride is concerned with who is right. 
Humility is concerned with what is right. May God help us to humble ourselves in pursuit of what is right. To abandon the things in our lives that are feeding our pride, starving humility, and leaving our souls thirsty for unity. If you've convinced yourself today that you're already humble enough, I'm not talking to your neighbor, I'm talking to you. God's word for you today is lower. Lowering yourself means imitating Christ's humiliation. There's one more part of the song. Secondly, lowering yourself for the sake of unity means you will participate in Christ's exaltation. The shift in stanzas is marked by a big word in verse 9. It's therefore. Everything that follows is a consequence of Christ's humility. In these last verses, Paul celebrates the reality, the recognition, and the result of Christ's exaltation. Notice the reality of Christ's exaltation. Verse 9, God has highly exalted him. This extremely high exaltation is in direct contrast to his extremely low humiliation. And as proof of the Father's approval and acceptance of his sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted in response to his own lowering. In humiliation, remember, he let go. He gave up and he laid down. But here, in exaltation, he got up, he went back, and he sat down. He got up means he was exalted over death in resurrection. He went back, exalted over the earth in ascension. He sat down, exalted over the universe in enthronement. Not only has the Father highly exalted him, he has given him the name that is above every name. I need to tell you this name is not Jesus. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of men named Jesus in the ancient world, which is just the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. No, this name above every name is not Jesus. The name above every name is the name Lord. This is evidence of the Father restoring to Jesus everything he let go, gave up, and laid down. In response to his faithfulness, 
The Father favored Jesus by bestowing on him the highest title or greatest name, which is Lord, in all the universe. Also, notice the recognition of his exaltation. Paul pictures a future day when in universal unison, all of creation will recognize Jesus' exaltation. Paul has already referenced that day back in chapter 1, verse 6, when he said, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. On the same day he receives recognition, we will be perfected in him. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That day, at the name of Jesus, knees will bow and tongues will confess. Here Paul is quoting another one of those servant songs from Isaiah 45, 23, in which the Lord declares himself to be Israel's one and only Savior. Paul takes that and applies it to Jesus, declaring that one day there will be universal kneeling and universal confessing in response to his unique lordship. And since he was given the name that's above every name, then every knee will bow that's not his, and every tongue will confess that's not his. Three worlds will declare him Lord, heaven above, earth beneath, and even hell below. Don't miss the unity that will result from his humility. I got to tell you today, brothers and sisters, it doesn't get any more unified than every knee and every tongue. Oh, what an encouragement this is in the midst of a world filled with divisions. Please hear me today, brothers and sisters. Every knee, every white knee, every black knee, every Asian knee, every Hispanic knee, every tongue, every Christian tongue, and even those that reject him, every Muslim tongue, every Hindu tongue, every Buddhist tongue, every Ukrainian tongue, every Russian tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Notice finally the result of his exaltation in the B part of verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. You know, everything Jesus did was to fulfill the will of the Father. John 6, 38, he said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The same way every step of his humiliation was the will of the Father, Every aspect of his exaltation will bring glory to the Father. Hear me today. 
unity that glorifies God is the fruit of humility. This shows us, brothers and sisters, the relational and missional nature of Christ's humility. Most of all, the point is that it must be a model for our own humility. This second stanza shows us that if we adopt the attitude of Jesus and lower ourselves, the Father will lift us the same way he lifted him. No, no, don't get me wrong. You won't receive a name that's above every name. No knees will bow to you and no tongues are going to confess about you. But Paul is saying somehow God will use you if you just humble yourself as a unifying instrument to point people to Jesus and therefore bring glory to him. I know this is a counter-cultural concept. We often reject humility because rather than lowering, shaming, and minimizing ourselves, we live in a world that constantly tells us to lift, to honor, and to maximize ourselves. Everything we hear, everything we read, everything we watch tells us that lowering ourselves for others is a waste of time. Oh, but Christ is proof that if we lower ourselves, God will lift us. If, if you let it go, God will give it back. If you give it up, God will pour it out. And if you lay it down, God, will raise it up. If we follow Christ's example, it will all be worth it in the end. That's what Paul is saying. Every tear we cry, every sleepless night, every time we turn the other cheek, you will look back at the end and see that it was all worth it just to participate in the beauty the majesty, harmony, and glory of it all. Anyone here ever been to a symphony orchestra? If you have, you know that the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the sound is a result of the harmony between the instruments. An admirer once asked Leonard Bernstein, who's a celebrated and well-renowned award-winning orchestra conductor, they asked, what is the hardest instrument to play? To which he quickly replied, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin 
or second horn or second flute with as much enthusiasm is a real problem. And yet, he said, if no one plays second, there is no harmony. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus hadn't willingly accepted the assignment to play second fiddle, there would be no harmony between us and God. And if we won't accept that same assignment and willingly play second fiddle, there will be no harmony in our lives, no harmony in the church. Oh, but if we do, the beauty, the majesty, and the glory will all be worth it. But without imitation, there can be no participation. Without humiliation, there can be no exaltation. No shame, no gain. No cross, no crown, no suffering, no glory. So how low can you go? Donald Gray Barnhouse said, and I'm done, love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. But love that stoops is grace. Jesus graciously stooped to love us in all our imperfections so that we might graciously stoop to love others in theirs. His stooping grace should lead to our outward affection for each other and our upward worship of him. There's a hymn that I love that says, May the mind of Christ my Savior Live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. Brothers and sisters, if you lower yourself for unity, God will lift you for his glory. How low can you go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for this beautiful passage traces the steps of the Lord Jesus and retells the story of the gospel in poetic form. Thank you, God, that Jesus came from heaven to earth, from earth 
to the cross, from the cross to the grave, and then from the grave to the sky. Father, would you help us to take a good look in the mirror and examine ourselves, to see where pride is keeping us from unity. Help us to stare not only in the mirror at ourselves, but most importantly at Jesus as our example of what humility looks like. That we might participate in the glorious fellowship that you have for us and in the mission you have given to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.